Happy New Year. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church and welcome to our 175th year of ministry. I cannot believe that, that we are here together celebrating this year, 175 years of ministry. In 1838, a missionary from, from Pennsylvania named John McCullough left Pennsylvania for the wilderness of Texas with one purpose in mind, to prepare the way of the Lord into South Texas and from there into Mexico. And eight years later in 1846, First Presbyterian Church was established. Now there were also some other interesting things that happened in 1846. It was a big year. That was the year the, the annexation of the Republic of Texas by the United States was finalized and the newly established state government was officially installed in Austin. It was also the year that the Mexican-American War began over the disp disputed border of Texas. In 1846, a cholera pandemic broke out in South Asia and began to spread around the world. That sounds a little too familiar and close for comfort. But also in 1846, the saxophone was invented by Adolphus Sax. Maybe you didn't know that. And to cap it all off, the planet Neptune was discovered by German astronomers Johann Gottfried Gall and Heinrich Louis-Derest. Can you believe that? In one year, a new state, a new planet, and a new church, all in 1846. Now, I love history, but the topic of history was a hot topic in 2020, and sadly, not for good reasons. Among other plagues, 2020 saw the metastasizing event of cancel culture, which literally sought to tear down historical artifacts as a, mean, a means of canceling or at least remaking history to fit political agendas. But in the process, it also unearthed parts of our history that we would rather forget. But because the issue of history was so volatile in 2020, there are some people who've been asking, should we celebrate our history as a church, our history at all, in 2021? Shouldn't we just move forward and leave it behind? Well, I want to answer that question with a challenge. And it comes from a quote by John Meacham. He wrote, Without sufficient memory, we are lost. With too much, we are captive. 2021 must be a year for us to remember and reclaim our church's heritage for the sake of the people and the families of this city. This year we're going to study our history for the sake of the renewal of God's church. And our guide through this journey our guide through this study will be the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is the oldest recorded history of the life of Jesus. It's an eyewitness account of the apostle Peter as recorded by John Mark. And we're gonna study the story of Jesus together because in his story, we find the origins of our own story. And today we're gonna to begin this new year at the beginning of Mark's gospel with Mark chapter one, verses one through eight. So if you would read along in your bulletin or on the screen, if you're worshiping with us online, but Mark one, one through eight. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. 
as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we come to you at the beginning of this new year, praying that you will open your word to us, praying that you will reveal yourself to us, praying that you will speak to us and speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. You know what I love about the Bible is that God does not just reveal his truth. When God the Holy Spirit tells a story and reveals his truth, he does it with flair. And when God the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write, he reached back eight centuries to announce the beginning of Jesus' story with the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He begins in the wilderness. What a great setting to begin a story. The Negev, the wilderness outside of Jerusalem, was not a forest wilderness. It was a desert wilderness. The desert is a dry and desolate place. And I know this because I just spent a week in West Texas with our family. The West Texas desert around Odessa is bone dry. It is brown, it is barren, it is thirsty, it is hard, and it is brittle. As Steve Cobb once said, it's like everything out there was designed to hurt you. In the Hebrew mind and in Hebrew history, the wilderness was not just a geographic location or environment. It was a symbol. It was a spiritual environment. It was a place of hardship and deprivation where a person could be pushed to his limits and be tempted to do whatever it takes to survive. Now, although we know that God is sovereign over all times and over all places and over all kingdoms, the wilderness is a symbol for those places that are uncivilized and seem to be beyond God's rule and protection. It's a place where the elements of the environment, both the physical environment and the spiritual environment, try men's souls. In the Old Testament, it was the place where Israel was forged and tested, where the people of God wandered for 40 years after they failed to trust God. And next week, in the next episode of Mark's gospel, we're going to see that it was also the place where Jesus was tempted 
and tested to prove that he is worthy to be the Lamb of God without blemish. And it is, and it is here in the wilderness that we meet John the Baptist, the last of the old covenant prophets. And God had summoned him forth to take up the mission of his prophetic forefathers. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. When the fullness of time had come, God gave John the job of preparing the way for Jesus' entry onto the public stage and into his public ministry. John's job was to go and prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. And I don't just mean the, the wilderness outside of Jerusalem, but the desert of human life, the desert of the heart, the soul, the mind. Because there is no greater wilderness than the human heart. The dry and barren environment of broken families and broken communities, broken hearts, broken minds, and broken dreams, where it seems that our hunger is never satisfied, our minds are never at peace, our thirst is never quenched, and pain is a constant companion. It was there that God sent John to prepare the way of the Lord. And so how did John prepare the way for Christ? First, we see the example of John's own personal commitment through his utter dependence on God. Look at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. You've got to understand this tree-hugger, wild-man look wasn't just a style choice. He wasn't just playing the self-abasing hippie aesthetic to gain points or get noticed or draw attention to himself. This is a reflection of his utter dependence on God for his daily existence, for his daily bread, for his daily survival. It was his way of saying and showing that without God, I have nothing but by God, I have everything I need. He wasn't just living off the land. He was living off of God. He was trusting God 100%. And people saw him and they said, wow, he's trusting God with everything. This is serious. Look at how God takes care of him. He's authentic. He's the real deal. He puts his money where his mouth is. Maybe we ought to pay attention. The first thing we see out of John is his utter dependence on God. Second, he prepared the way of the Lord by preaching repentance. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is John's way of saying that the Lord is coming to bushwhack a path to our hearts by clearing away the brambles and the thicket of sin with his truth. You've heard me say this so many times, that grace will never be amazing until we take our sin seriously. Repentance means literally to turn around, to turn away from sin and turn to face God. And John was challenging people to realize 
that they would never find the Lord's path of peace as long as they kept insisting on their own way and their own direction. Because you can't follow the Lord if you insist on going your own way and you're stuck in your own pit. You cannot simultaneously pray, thy will be done and my will be done. Repentance is admitting your desperate need for God, that you have been stuck or you're going in the wrong direction and that you can't do it on your own. You need to change your ways to his ways. But it's also understanding that we have a father who loves us, a God who is with us, and a savior who has found us. So third, he prepared the way of the Lord by directing all attention to Jesus, the one who has come, the one who is coming, and the one who will come again. If you listen to the words of John, it was all about Jesus. It was all about him. Verse 7 says, he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was saying, it's not about me. It's not about this place. It's not about being out here in the, in the desert. It's not about being in the temple in Jerusalem. It's about him. And in John's gospel, the Baptist says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, that's me, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the vo bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And he says, he must increase and I must decrease. This is how John prepared the way of the Lord into that time, into that place, and into their hearts. In 1846, San Antonio was still very much a wilderness. It wasn't a barren, undiscovered, and unsettled wasteland. Native Americans had been here for thousands of years, the Spanish for around 150 years. And it wasn't a pagan or heathen Nineveh unacquainted with Christianity. The Roman Catholic Church had established missions here in 1690. Christianity had been here for nearly 150 years. Nevertheless, it was broken. And when John McCullough, our founding pastor, saw San Antonio for the first time, it was a wilderness. He described it as a dilapidated, miserable-looking place, affording ocular demonstration of a desolating war and semi-barbarism. You don't put that in your Chamber of Commerce brochure. <laughs> One of our beloved church members, Dr. David Green, is writing a a biography of, David, of John McCullough right now, and here's one of the things he says. He says, Comanche Indians still made occasional raids into the town. And San Antonio was a town of gamblers, desperados, houses of ill repute, saloons, everything you would want in a Wild West movie. The ruins and the wounds of the Battle of the Alamo were still fresh. And yet something moved in John McCullough. As a friend put it, McCullough's righteous soul was vexed over much. 
And rather than turn away and go home, John McCullough would see in this uncertain scene of desolation an opportunity to serve God. John McCullough could not deny or unsee the moral and spiritual and the living conditions of the people he met. He had to do something. And so he became the first resident Protestant minister in that outpost of civilization, preaching the gospel of truth and righteousness to a town of outlaws. Like John the Baptist, John the Presbyterian believed that God had, been call, had called him to this place to prepare the way of the Lord in this wilderness. And he did it first by his example, by putting his own life and the life of his own family in God's hands, relying on God, trusting his survival and success to God 100%. He showed his utter dependence on God. He did it by calling people to repentance because you can't build a road in the wilderness without clearing away the obstacles. And this got him in trouble. McCullough was not a formidable physical presence, but he preached these uncompromising Calvinistic sermons that rebuked these outlaws publicly. He called them out. And this served only to inflame the local population. But he preached boldly, and he preached directly against criminal activity and moral lawlessness. And, he, and, he, and because he believed that it was his duty to preach the truth, he was persecuted. He was slandered. He was insulted. And he was threatened daily. One time, six or eight desperados went to his home to murder him. They shot up his house, and even though the bullets ripped his clothes to shreds, he was unwounded. Another time, a gambler by the name of Jim Glanton kicked open the door, rode his horse into McCullough's house, and shot him twice in the hat. <laughs> Missed him completely. Fighting corruption, fighting sin, is hard. Because sin always fights back. Doing nothing would be a whole lot easier. But McCullough stayed the course because for our sake, while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ endured the pain and the shame of the cross and gave his life for us. And so McCullough kept preaching and he kept teaching and he kept showing the love and the courage of Jesus Christ to the city. And again, he did it all by preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just in San Antonio, but in so many other places. Religion had become about so many other things, about politics, about economics, about culture. And it had forgotten about Jesus. But McCullough never forgot that his mission was to show them and to show the world the open road to eternal and abundant life that is prepared for them by the grace of God and by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His goal was to direct the people's faith to Jesus Christ, the one who has come, the one who is coming into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and the one who will come again. 
And McCullough never let any other program or hardship distract him from that purpose. In addition to those biblical mandates and the spirit of the true Reformation, he also set up a school to give people the tools and the skills they needed to read the Bible for themselves. Why? Because that's at the heart of the Reformation. There is a freedom that comes from education. And like Wycliffe and Tyndall and Luther and Calvin before him, McCullough wanted people to have the tools necessary to experience the living word of God for themselves. Not to make faith private, but to make faith personal. To set them free from ignorance and ritualized secondhand religion. He wanted to set them free for a relationship built on grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And what McCullough knew is that we cannot be free out here until we are free in here, in your heart and in your mind. Only the fear of the Lord and the truth of Jesus Christ can save us from the seductive and self-destructive lies and systems of sin. There's no transformation of the world or the city without a Christ renewal of the mind and transformation of the heart. You know, last week I was watching the Alamo Bowl, Hook'em Horns, that was awesome. That's played right here in San Antonio. And as I was watching and I was listening to the commentators, I got a real sense of pride in our city. And I know I'm still just a newcomer, but I swell with pride to hear sports commentators rave about how much they love coming to San Antonio year after year to cover a football game. San Antonio is one of the greatest cities in America and in the world. Our culture, our opportunities, our history draw attention and applause from around the world. But like all cities of man, we still have some wilderness issues. 2020 has exposed vulnerabilities in our social fabric, especially in families and in race relations. We continue to rank highest in income disparity and the gap between our wealthiest income zip codes and our lowest income zip codes and the living conditions that follow is heartbreaking. We're number one in income disparity. The wilderness exists where hopelessness and temptation lurk, not just with seductive pleasure, but with a gnawing, threatening hunger that makes people desperate. Poverty, hate, broken families. In situations where sins look, sin looks like the only option, it lives where somebody feels like they have to choose between stealing and starving, between dignity and survival. The wilderness exists when life gets hard and it becomes easy to get greedy and selfish, when cheating and manipulation, when taking advantage seem to be okay, and we begin to think in terms of survival of the fittest. So the wilderness does still exist. 
So why does San Antonio still need FPC in 2021, 175 years later? It's because there's still a wilderness here. And we need to prepare the way of the Lord. The mission of John the Baptist is still our mission. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. What are the pockets of wilderness in San Antonio? What are the, where are the areas we need to make a path for God? In 2021, we have to learn to trust God for everything and with everything. In 2021, we have to keep calling people to repentance, to turn around and follow the way of the Lord, the way that leads to abundant and eternal life. In 2021, we have to share the kingdom of God by making disciples and empowering and equipping men and women, families and neighborhoods with the tools of freedom and health and justice and compassion and peace. And in 2021, we need to remind ourselves once again that it's all about Jesus. Our mission is not our legacy or our fame, or our reputation in this community, or even our future as a church. It's all about him. He must increase, and we must decrease. As we lift up Jesus Christ in worship, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and people will be drawn to him for the restoration that only he can provide. You know, five missions were established in San Antonio before 1846. But I believe that First Presbyterian Church was the first Protestant Reformation mission in the mission city. That makes us the sixth mission. And there is still a wilderness, and we still have a mission. 2021 is a year for us to remember and reclaim our church's heritage for the sake of the people and the families of this city. 175 years ago, First Presbyterian Church was founded and designed with a mission in mind to share the truth and love of Jesus Christ with the city of San Antonio. And now I believe that our Lord is calling us back to our roots, challenging us once again to prepare the way of the Lord by making disciples who love Jesus Christ, who love one another, who love this city, and from here will love the world. Let us pray. Oh Lord, you have called us at this time, in this place, to empower us with your mission, to prepare the way of the Lord into the wilderness that still exists, not only in this city, not only in this state, not only in this country and in this world, but in our own hearts. And so we ask you, O oh Lord, to make us utterly dependent on you, to give us the courage to preach repentance, turning away from sin and turning toward you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us 
to keep our eyes focused and fixed firmly on the one who is the way and the truth and the life, even Jesus. Lord, awaken us to the new opportunities you have for us in 21. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the beginning of this new year, we gather around the Lord's table to celebrate the fact that God's call to us is not theoretical, aspirational, that it's not simply words, but it is, it is truth to be lived out in our own real time, just as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, is not some distant divinity, some distracted deity, but rather he is Emmanuel, God with us. And he has sent us to be his presence in the world, the hands and feet of Christ. And as a reminder of all that he has done for us, he gathered his own disciples around the table to say, what I am doing for you, what I will do for you, is as real as this bread that you put in your mouth. It is as real as the cup that you bring to your lips. My body broken for you, my blood poured out for you. It's a real demonstration of my real love in real time. And so before the Lord sends us out to be his hands and feet in the world, he calls us to his table to remember that little bit, but most important moment in history when he gave his life for ours so that we may know, so that we may have and know the life that God created us to have. And so he invites us to this table and says, come to this table to remember what I have done for you, that my real body and my real blood were spilled out for you, and that what I have done for you, my love for you, my power in your life is as real as the bread in your hands and the cup on your table. Come to this table to know that you are loved. Come to this table to know that you are forgiven. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. Scripture says that we will come from north and south and east and west to sit at table in his kingdom. We come to this table not because we're worthy, but because we are invited, and we are invited not because we have anything to bring, but because we are loved and we are forgiven through the blood of his cross and by the power of his grace. And so come not because you must, but come because you may. Come because you are loved. And the Father is calling you to come to his table. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is the table of the Lord our God, set aside by Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he invites all those who are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all those who follow him as his disciple and claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to come 
to sit at table with him and one another and to know his peace. Will you pray with us? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the new year and for what we celebrate together. We celebrate the newness, a fresh newness, and pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what that means in in each one of our lives. Guide us into a new understanding of our relationships with each other, with you. Uh, We celebrate uh, that fresh newness that comes with the notion of the new year. We also celebrate a legacy of faith and ministry here at First Presbyterian Church. 175 years of, of continued presence and continued preaching and continued missions. We pray for your direction of our staff, our pastors, our deacons, our elders, and our covenant partners as we seek to continue to have that message that you've given to this church to share over these years. Father, we do continue to pray for healing in our country, healing in our lives, healing for those that are experiencing uh, COVID-19. We're thankful that a vaccine is available and pray that quickly uh, we would see your, your healing in the hearts and lives of people around us. Thank you for the way that you, you meet us each day. Thank you for the way that you direct us and we pray for your healing emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We also celebrate today this table, the communion that we have together with you and with each other. And we pray that as we gather around this table that you would unite our hearts with you unite our hearts with each other in this fellowship and pray that your Holy Spirit would consecrate these elements and that in the way that only you can, that as we share in the bread and in the cup, that we would, we would receive spiritual nourishment for the journey ahead, for the opportunities that you have for us and for the doors that you are opening for us to truly become those that love you, love each other, and love this city. Join our hearts together as we, we commune with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.